Uh, the second Bible reading comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses uh, 13 and until chapter 3 verse 13 and is found on page 1238 on some of the few Bibles. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men but as it actually is, the word of God which is at work for you in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen, the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their efforts to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles, so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer. We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, we were with you. We kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy, just now, come to to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in our In all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray almost most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. It's good to be here tonight. Uh, just an apology at first. I was involved in the kids in the kids program this week, and if you know anything about kids, you know that they're dirty, germy, grimy things uh, that share their germs with you and make you sick. Uh, so I've got a bit of a cold, so I apologise in advance uh, for that. But I'm sure we'll make it through. I'm going to thank God for the time we've got, and then we'll make a start. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father. We ask as we come before you now 
as we come to study your word, that you would quiet in our hearts, that you would take away the distractions of the week gone past and the week ahead, that you would help us to focus on you and to focus on your word. Please help us to have open hearts and open minds to what your word has to say to us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. What are your deepest desires? What is it that you most long for? When you're standing in the shower, enjoying that hot water pouring over you that washes the soap away, what are the daydreams that are going on in your head? As you're lying in bed at night, dunas pulled up around your neck, storm smashing against the windows, what is it you're fantasising about? If you found a magic lamp with a genie in it that gave you one wish, what would you wish for? What is it that is your deepest desire? Uh, For a long time, my deepest desire has been to be a minister. And so, as you can see, as you heard before, I'm kind of moving along towards that path, studying at the moment. All that stands in my way now is seven more semesters and lots more exams but I'm almost there. What are your desires? Maybe it's a light thing, a little thing. I know someone whose deepest desire was to have enough money so that they could walk into a restaurant and order anything on the menu. How amazing would that be? But maybe it's something a bit deeper than that. I know of one couple that I'm friends with uh, that their deepest desire was to have a baby. And for years and years they struggled and struggled to get pregnant and have a baby. What is it that's your deepest desire? And you know what? As a church, we have desires as well. What is it that we as a church desire? Now, obviously our biggest desire is for people to be saved, people to come to know Jesus. But once they're saved, what is it that we desire for them? What do we want for them? And you know what? This is one of the biggest questions. This is one of the most important things we can think about. Because if our desires are different to God's desires, then we have a bit of an issue. And we might think it's just a bit of an issue, but it's actually a lot of an issue. Because even if we're off by just a little bit now, over time that will get bigger and bigger and bigger. If I've got two lines here, and they're just one degree different. From here to here, they're not going to change much, are they? But if I go a kilometre away, the gap's going to be quite big. If I go 10 kilometres away, it's going to be huge. Just a little bit of a difference here at the start will make a lot of a difference later on. So this is important. It's important that our desires match God's desires. That our desires are what God wants them to be. Not just close not just 95% correct, but 100% correct. Because if we don't, it has the power to, ch- to kill our Christian life and to kill our churches. You might think that this won't have an impact, that it doesn't kill churches, but sadly it does. I've been involved in a church that started off just a little bit off. And over time, they got worse and worse and worse because their desires weren't what they should be. So this is a big issue. It matters for our own spiritual health and it matters for the spiritual health of our churches. What are our desires? 
to help us figure out whether we're in line with God's desires, we're going to look at Paul. In today's passage, Paul's talking to the Thessalonians and he, gives them a, he shows them a few of his desires. He's obviously got other desires, but these are the desires he focuses on today. The first one he shows us is that they would hold fast to the word of God. Secondly, that they'd persevere through any persecution. And thirdly, that they would overflow in love. We see the first of those in verse 13. Uh, The Thessalonians heard the message from Paul and they saw it for what it was. They saw it for the word of God. They didn't think it was just stories made up by a man. It wasn't just something Paul was doing to get power over them. No, they saw it was much bigger than that. It was the word of God. Have a look at verse 13 with me. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. They heard it and they knew what it was. It was the words of God. And just like the Thessalonians, we have all sorts of opinions today on what this is, don't we? All sorts of opinions on what this is. Some people say, like in those times, they're just made up. Some people say they're just stories, fairy tales. That it's a power play designed to gain power over us. But we know what it is, don't we? This here is the words of the maker of the universe. Have a look at the person next to you. God made that person. Have a look around the church. God made the church. If we weren't in church now, I'd tell you to go out and have a look at the uh, streets around the outside. God made that. God made everything. And in this book, God speaks to us. Isn't that amazing? God speaks to us. And if we remember this, how amazing does that make our personal quiet time? When I pick up my Bible and I look at it, that is the words of the maker of the universe speaking to me. I don't know about you, sometimes I feel a bit tempted to just kind of skim through it quickly. My mind's all over the place, not focusing on what I'm reading, just so that I can tick off and say, done quiet time for the day, now let me go and do something else. But these are the words of the maker of the universe. And if I know that, how could I skim through it quickly? Wouldn't I want to absorb it, to spend time in it, to love it? And what about here at church? Uh, I love sermons and I love listening to sermons. So often when I hear the Bible reading, I kind of zone out a bit and I'm just waiting for the sermon. That's like what I can't wait to get into. But if I understand this, then surely the Bible reading's the best bit. That's what I should be excited about. That's what I should be looking forward to. Because that is God speaking to me. The other bits are good, the other bits are important. But when I hear the Bible read out, that is God speaking to me. How amazing is that? And it's Paul's desire that the Thessalonians would hold on to that, that they'd never forget that this message they've heard is the word of God. And so Paul says if they hold on to that, if they remember that and cling to God's word, then they'll get persecution. They'll get suffering. It's not what we expect, is it? We think if we hold on to God's word that life will be good. But Paul says if you hold on to God's word, you will be persecuted. And it's his desire that they would persevere through that persecution. 
uh, persecution was a big deal for the Thessalonians and they'd experienced a lot of it. Remember when Paul comes to them in Acts 17? He's only there for a couple of weeks and then he gets chased off by an angry mob. And from then on, they're persecuted. They're facing lots and lots of persecution. So they are a church that has experienced it. And Paul's desire for them is that they would persevere through it, that they would keep going. We see that in verses 14 to 16. Have a look with me. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from them, suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved. In this way, they also heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. These Thessalonians have suffered a lot and it's Paul's desire that they persevere through that suffering, that they hold fast to what they originally believed. But why is this such a big deal for Paul? Why does Paul care? Why does Paul care if they persevere or not? Well, remember we've seen in other chapters that Paul uses family language about the Thessalonians. He sees them as his spiritual children. And so because of that, it's Paul's life goal, his life aim for them to persevere through this suffering. When he gets to the end of his life, he wants them to still be going, to still be persevering. That's what this crown language is talking about. We see it in verses 19 to 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory, will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Paul's saying his crown is the Thessalonians. Now, our crown was what was given to an athlete who won a competition. In our days, we give out uh, gold medals. In those days, they gave out crowns. And he's saying that that's what he's striving for. That's what he's working for. I used to play Australian football. Uh, I've retired a few years ago and I think my body's happy about that. But our hope and aim was to achieve the Premiership Cup, to win this Premiership Cup, to be able to hold it up at the end of the season and say, this is what we achieved. And looking back, I can't believe some of the things I did working towards that aim, particularly in the off-season. So uh, we used to spend two-hour sessions in the 40-degree summer heat Uh, sprinting and running and tackling and doing as much as we could. Uh, I used to do push-ups in a session. We'd probably do about at least 80 to 100 push-ups in about an hour or so until my arms were literally like jelly and couldn't hold me up anymore. I used to go for four-kilometre timed sprints uh, to try and improve my my speed uh, in the pouring summer storms. And many times I literally got to a point where I would vomit and then continue on. So it was quite incredible thinking back some of the things I used to do, striving to achieve that Premiership Cup. Sadly, we never won one. In fact, in about 12 years of football, I only played in one finals match. So that's quite sad. But (laughs) I went to a lot of effort to try and get to one. And that's what Paul's saying. That's what he's aiming for. He's doing everything he can to work and work and work so that the Thessalonians will persevere. That's what he wants to get to and hold up at the end, seeing them persevere. And so to do this, he sends Timothy. He sends his 
companion, Timothy, to them to encourage them and to spur them on. In chapter 3, verse 1, we see that Paul can't stand not knowing how they're going. It's his desire that they persevere, but he doesn't know if they are or not. So he sends Timothy to check. Remember, in these days, it was difficult to find out how things are going. You couldn't pick up your phone and send them a message or call them. You couldn't send them an email. You couldn't get information easily. The only way to find out was to send someone to check. So that's what Paul does. In verses 2 to 4, Timothy was sent to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you know. Timothy is sent to encourage them, to help them persevere through the suffering that will come. But imagine being poor. He just kind of has to sit back and wait. Timothy goes off to find out how they're going, but it's quite a journey. So Paul has to sit back and wait until Timothy returns again to tell him what happened, to tell him whether the Thessalonians are persevering, whether his desire is being fulfilled. We all know what that's like, don't we? Sitting back, waiting for information when there's not much more we can do. Now, when I asked Cassie out, I asked her via the phone. So I called her up to ask her whether she wanted to go on a date with me. I was uh, quite nervous about doing this and so I prepared extremely well. So I typed out my script of what I was going to say to her. But then what happens if she said something I wasn't expecting? So I came up with all the possible answers that I could imagine her ever saying and then I came up with an answer to that and then an answer to her question that could follow that and then an answer to that. And so I was as prepared as you could get. And so I called her and I buzzed and buzzed and buzzed and then went to voicemail. Uh, I was not prepared for voicemail. And so via text messages, she was busy. We figured, we established she was busy and couldn't talk at that time. But I would call back in about four hours or so. She didn't know what this was for at the time. And so for the next four hours, I couldn't sit still. I could not sit still. I was just thinking, what's she going to say? Is she going to say yes? Is she going to say no? And I was thinking all the possible branches that the conversation could go into. I was figuring out which one was the most likely by the subtle hints she could have given me in the conversations we've had in the past. And so you can imagine this is a bit what Paul's like. As he's waiting to hear back from Timothy, he's just playing over in his head all the situations, all the possibilities are they, are they persevering? Have they wandered off? Has someone come and led them astray? What's happening to them? Are they persevering? And so eventually, Timothy comes back and he tells Paul the good news. They are persevering. They are going on with their faith, holding fast to the word of God. And so we see that in verses 6 to 10, the joyful language. It just overflows, it pours out. Paul hears the good news and he's so, so joyful, so thankful that his desire is being met. And so now that this desire is being met, now that they are persevering through their persecution, he's got one final desire for them. And that final desire is that the persecution, the persevering through the persecution, would lead them to love each other. To love each other and to love others. We see that in Paul's prayer in verses 11 to 13. 
I'm going to have, we're going to have a look at this together and as we do, I want you to think about what you do see mentioned and what you don't see mentioned. So I'm going to read it out, we're going to look at it together and think about what you do see mentioned and what you don't see mentioned. Let's look. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Notice what's not there. There's nothing about the suffering and persecution being removed. This is Paul praying about the Thessalonians, yet he doesn't ask for the persecution to be removed. Because to Paul, persecution is just part of the deal when you hold fast to the word of God. When you hold fast to the word of God, you will be persecuted. And so Paul doesn't ask that it would be removed. Instead, what he prays for is that this persecution would lead to love, that it would lead them to overflow with love, that it would make them more compassionate for each other, that suffering alongside each other would strengthen that bond between them would make them think about others instead of themselves, that they'd grow in love for each other. It sounds kind of funny to think that persecution would lead to loving more, but it actually does. I worked for a few years for the Christian Union at RMIT, so it's a student organisation. And in one of the years I was working there, the university basically decided to kind of hammer down on us and try and make life tough for us. So they made it difficult to hire out venues, made it difficult for us to sign up students, uh, they made it difficult for us staff to be on, on campus and try and help out. And so through all of this persecution, it was so joyful to watch the students and see them grow in love for each other as they faced all this pressure from the outside. It united them, it helped them see they're on the same page, they're in the cause together. And so it grew them in compassion, grew them in love for each other by facing this persecution. And this is what Paul's desire is, that the persecution from the outside for holding fast to God's word would make the Thessalonians love more. That not just love more, but overflow in love, like a vessel that's been so filled up that it can't hold anymore. Love's just pouring out of them. That's what Paul's desire is, that the persecution would make them love more. And it's Paul's desire that we would follow the same path as the Thessalonians. That we would hold fast to the word of God. That we would persevere through persecution. And that we would overflow in love. That's where we should be. But is that where we are? Is that what our desires are? Can I honestly say that those three things are my desires for myself? Can I honestly say it's my desire for you? Can you say it's your desire for the person sitting next to you? And remember, it's so important because if we can't, if we're off by even one degree, then over time that will make a big difference. Might be okay in six months' time, might be okay in two years, but what about five years? What about ten years? If we're off by just a little bit now, if our desires are just a little bit misplaced now, what will they be like in 10 years? 
Well, how do we know then if we're on track? How do we know if we've got our desires as they should be? Well, I think one of the best health, self-health checkups we can do is to think about what we have prayed for over the last little bit. So I did this, I did this as an exercise to try and figure out where my desires are at, what I actually value. And so over the last few days, I've prayed for people who I know are sick. I've prayed that God would heal them and that God would look after them and comfort them in their sickness. I've prayed for some people who I know are busy and tired and worn out, that God would give them energy, that God would help them to be able to do lots of stuff. I've prayed for someone who I know wants a wife. I've prayed that they'd get a wife. I've prayed for lots of things. But not many of my prayers have aligned with what Paul wants here. And so I was quite rebuked when I did that exercise. I was quite rebuked. I thought maybe my desires don't line up as I thought they did. Maybe I'm not aligning my desires with God's desires. You may or may not have aligned your desires with God. If you have, then that's good. I'm extremely encouraged to hear if you have and if you can say that these are the kinds of things you pray for, then that is extremely good news. And can I encourage you to keep going with that? But if you're like me and if you think maybe my desires don't line up with God's, then how do we fix it? I think the starting point is the starting point that Paul points us to here. And that is with the Word of God. We need to come back to the Word of God and make that the most important thing. I heard a good quote which I think sums it up. So there was a guy, Charles Spurgeon, who's a famous Christian, and he was talking about another famous Christian called John Bunyan. And so talking about this guy, John Bunyan, Charles Spurgeon said, if you cut him, he would bleed scripture. If you cut him, he loves the word of God so much that it just pours out of him, just bleeds like blood. How good would it be if we could say that about ourselves? That if you cut me, I will bleed God's word. How good would that be? It's so vital to us. It's like the blood pumping through our veins. How good would that be? And if we do, if we love God's word in that way, then we'll face persecution. We'll face suffering because of it. Remember, Paul says this is part of the deal. Suffering and persecution is part of holding fast to God's word. But God's word will also help us to persevere through that suffering and persecution and it will help us to love each other to overflow with love for each other. Because that's what persecution does. As we end, I want to uh, tell you about a story I did this week. I was working on the sermon, I was trying to find a good illustration. So I went onto the internet and I had a bit of a hunt around and I stumbled onto this website. Uh, It's this website for an organisation called The Voice of the Martyrs. Some of you may have heard of it, some of you may have not. For those who haven't, the Voice of the Martyrs is a Christian organisation that's all about uh, praying for and letting people know about Christians that are persecuted around the world. And so I stumbled onto their website and they had this document that had 16 points that that they wanted people to pray about for these persecuted Christians. You can blame the um, scummy kids from the <laughs> kids search for that. Uh, but on this website, these are persecuted Christians who are facing unbelievable persecution. They're being killed. 
So they're facing amazing persecution. And on these 16 prayer points, not one of those 16 prayer points asks for you to pray that God would remove that persecution. Not one of those 16. These are Christians who are losing their life, losing their families, losing their jobs, losing their house. And not one of them was about asking for you to pray that that would be removed, that they'd be fine. And I was quite moved by this. I was quite challenged. I said, they're facing so much worse than I'm facing. And then all I care about is having a good life. And so uh, let me tell you some of the things that were on their prayer request list. One of them was simply that they would endure, that God would just help them endure the persecution, not remove it, just to endure it. Another one was not just that they would endure, but that they would rejoice in the sufferings, that they would rejoice suffering so that they would enjoy, they would enjoy Jesus more. These are Christians who are losing their lives and their houses and their family, and they want you to pray that they would rejoice in those sufferings, not just that they would uh, that they would rejoice in the suffering, but that through these sufferings they would be able to point people towards Jesus, that others would see their joy in persecution and their joy in Jesus and come to know him. And I was quite challenged by this. I thought, this is incredible. How can these Christians who are facing this much not care? How can they desire something bigger than that, something bigger than just their own personal safety? And so I felt quite convicted because I might be heading in 95% of the correct direction. I'm kind of close to what God wants me to, but I'm off by a little bit. And that little bit, over time, will make a big bit. And so I'm going to pray now that God would help me to align my desires better. And I'm going to pray for those of you whose desires are off, that God would help you as well. If your desires are perfectly online, then that's good. Keep challenging yourself and keep checking up. Keep constantly checking whether they're still (coughs) online. So I'm going to pray that God would help me to hold fast to the word of God, that God would help me then endure the persecution that comes because of it and that that persecution would lead me to overflow with love for others. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you would help me to um, pray now and not cough too much. And I also ask that you would help me to align my desires with your desires, that you would (coughs) help me hold fast to your word, that you would help me persevere through persecution and that you would help me to overflow with love for others. And I pray for anyone else here who needs to realign their desires, that you would help them as well, that we would all value you And your word is the most important thing. And for in your name, amen.